0: Father in heaven, we appreciate the fact that you have allowed us to be here today and we are grateful for the fact that we can also recognize that every aspect of our life is something that you have complete control over. We thank you for the uh, level of generosity that you have displayed to each of us in giving us possessions that make our life comfortable, giving us health. But more than anything else, our Father, we thank you for the assurance that we will live with you forever. We ask our Father that this day would be a day that uh, brings us insight into Scripture as well as enhances our walk with Jesus Christ. For it's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen. I uh, I have a... Interesting thing I want to just pass on to you, and I ran across this on the internet. You know, the internet, I had no idea. It has has revolutionized the way you uh, look for stuff. But, uh, you know, they've got just about everything in the world on there. Whether it's true or not, I don't know, but I just assume that it is. (laughs) But anyway, uh, can you imagine what it would be like to be Moses leading the children of Israel? That's two million people. You see all the tents way in the background? that That's what it must have been like. Now, the first thing I thought of when I saw this picture of, and that is what? What would, what would a preacher think about when he saw this picture? How can they hear me? How can the guy way in the back hear me? And how can I stop all of these people from whispering between each other? What can I say? Anyway, uh, that's... Uh, That's just an artist's rendition. Now, today we're going to talk about the ark as well as the Shekinah glory. But let me, if I may, just give you a picture of renditions of the ark that artists have conceived. And uh, this is one that you can usually find, and you've probably seen this one before. Here is another rendition of uh, of the ark. And then, of course, you have the rendition of Solomon's temple where the ark was uh, and the Shekinah glory uh, were for probably close to 400 years, maybe, yeah, maybe about 350 years. But anyway, uh, these are just artist renditions of what it might have looked like. One of the difficulties with pictures that we can get is they already plant an image in our mind (laughs) Which may be completely different than what reality was, but anyway, this is uh, these are the renditions. What I want to talk to you about today, you might say, what does all this have to do with archaeology? I think we'll see in a minute. The two symbols of God's presence with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament are number one the Shekinah glory, uh, Often called the glory cloud. The word Shekinah comes from a word which originally meant to dwell. And so when the word Shekinah is used, what he is basically talking about is where God dwelt. Now, what the Shekinah looked like, we don't know, all right? Again, artist renditions. Uh, The other symbol was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was the main item of furniture in the area of the tabernacle. So what I want to do is I want to chase, chase, trace the Shekinah glory through the Old Testament and then I want to trace the Ark of the Covenant through the Old Testament and see where archaeology fits in just a little bit. First of all, the Shekinah glory. I'm going to be going through the Bible. If you want to follow along, that would be fine. The first reference to it is Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13, the children of Israel have just come out of Egypt, and we discover that in Exodus chapter 13, Verse 21, there is an interesting statement, and I'm going to start with uh, verse 20. Then they set out from Succoth and camped at uh, Etham on the edge of the wilderness, and the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud. I prefer a different way of describing that rather than the pillar of cloud. I personally prefer the phrase pillar cloud. Rather than a cloud being horizontal, I prefer a pillar cloud that's kind of up and down. So that's basically what I'll say every time you see the little term uh, pillar of cloud. I'll just say pillar cloud. uh, Day by day to lead them on the way, a uh, pillar of fire by night that gave them light that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people of of, uh, Israel. The next time we see the pillar cloud is on the top of Mount Sinai, and I'll not turn there, but it's over in Exodus chapter 24. The next time we see... The Shekinah glory or the pillar cloud is when we have a dialogue with Moses. Now, turn over, if you will, because this, I think, is a very, very interesting uh, series of verses. Over in Exodus chapter 33, the ark, the tabernacle area, is in the process of construction, it's not set up yet. But occasionally Moses talked with God or met with God, so he sets up a tent outside of the camp of Israel. Many of the Israelites have a are positioned in such a way that they can see Moses going out to that tent. The interesting thing is if you look at Exodus chapter 32 and chapter 33, something radical has just taken place. What has just happened? The golden calf incident, where the children of Israel, after just a few short months, have turned their back on God after everything God had done. Moses is up on Mount Sinai, and he comes back down and sees this particular event taking place, And it just blows him away. We don't have time to look at the entire story, but the gist of it is Moses says, look, uh, God, I want you to say this. God has just said, hey, I'm abandoning Israel. Forget it. I'm writing them off. And Moses pleads with God and says, don't do it because your reputation is at stake. Now, when you come down to chapter 33, I'm looking at verse 9. And and I'm changing the wording because our editors have added some words here that uh, they don't necessarily help us, but uh, they do help us, but it's not the absolute rendition. It came about, whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and... The little term the Lord is not in the original Hebrew. What is happening is the pillar cloud is speaking to Moses. Now we don't find out who is in the pillar cloud until the next verse. When all the people saw the pillar cloud standing at the entrance of the tent all the people would arise and worship each at the entrance of the tent. Thus the Lord or Yahweh used to speak to Moses face to face. Now that term face to face basically is a term, it doesn't mean Moses was able to see God because no one can see God and live. Basically the term face to face is a figure of speech which means they're in the presence of each other. They're in proximity to where they're really close. So he sees God, He sees he's in the presence of God just as a man speaks to his friend when Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. All right, so this is the manifestation of God, the presence of God, the symbol of God's presence, and he's talking to Moses. When you come back to Exodus chapter 40, the end of the book, we discover that the tabernacle is complete. It is set up. And when you look at Exodus chapter 40, one of the things that you discover is that the pillar cloud and the glory of God descend on the tabernacle. And you see that in verse 34 of chapter 40. The cloud covered the tent of meaning, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And the next several verses describe that in a little bit more detail. Now, so you've had the pillar cloud guiding the children of Israel. It is the obvious presence of God. When the tabernacle is complete, the pillar cloud, the glory of God, the Shekinah descends on it. It is a visible manifestation that the presence of God is with his people. Then we have the next instance where the pillar cloud and the glory of God descend. And that is not until 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 7, chapter 5 and chapter 7. There is virtually no mention of it during the time of the judges. And this era of time is approximately 480 years from the time we see mention, now was it there? I don't know, I don't know. But there's virtually no mention of it in scripture from the time it fills the tabernacle in the wilderness until it descends on the temple after Solomon has dedicated it. Now I find that kind of interesting. Whether it's there or not, I don't know. I just don't know is it in the chair standing above the cherubim? I don't know that either. The Bible just doesn't say. Let's go to the ark of the covenant. Ark of the covenant chapter 25 of Exodus, turn back. This is the second manifestation of the presence of God with the people he is describing in chapter 25 of Exodus the construction of the ark. And he tells us down in chapter 25, verse 10, and they shall construct an ark of acacia wood two and a half cubits long, one and a half cubit wide, and one and a half cubits high. Essentially, 40 inches long, 27 inches wide, 27 inches high. So it's essentially just a box. But on top of that box is a lid called the mercy seat. It is a lid of pure gold on top. And notice what God says when you come down to verse 22. He says, and there I will meet with you. From above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. So essentially speaking, what you have is the tabernacle is built. It is a symbol again of God's presence. The next time... And these are artist renditions. Again, artist renditions, all right? What was it like? Just a couple patterns. Again, that you can find on the internet. And of course, everything you see on the internet is true, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you can't trust the internet, who can you trust? <laughs> Most of them are pretty similar. The interesting thing is, this was not unique to Israel, because in 1920, in the 1920s, there were a bunch of archeologists down in the Valley of the Kings, on the west side of the Nile around Luxor, which is ancient Thebes, and they did some excavation in King Tut's tomb. King Tut is essentially the boy king. He was not a real famous pharaoh, but the only reason he is is famous is that because his tomb among many, many tombs was not desecrated by the grave robbers. So they found this intact tomb of King Tut. One of the things they found there, and this is over here to your uh, your right. (laughs) Uh, They found this ark, if you please. But the interesting thing is, this is what it looks like in the Cairo Museum now. So you can tell that there's a slightly different symbol on the surface of it, can't you? But it was not unique to Israel. What made it unique is God took something that they were aware of and he fills it with new meaning. That's the key. And that's what God usually does. He takes something we are familiar with fills it with brand new meaning, brand new significance. So this is an ark that is found during the New Kingdom, probably shortly after the time of Moses. And if you go to the Cairo Museum, I remember when I was at the Cairo Museum, I saw this. I didn't realize at the time the significance of it, but then that's another story. All right, the next time we see the ark is that it leads through the Jordan River. And uh, I don't have time to read it, but let me, if I may, just comment briefly when they are on the other side of the Jordan River before they enter into the Promised Land, Joshua chapter 5 tells us, or excuse me, Joshua chapter 6 tells us this, that the uh, Levites pick the ark up on the poles the way it's supposed to be carried, and the text of Scripture tells us that the children of Israel, when they pass over the Jordan, are to follow the ark, but the distance between them and the ark is a thousand yards. Now get that. A thousand yards. That's a long distance. And that's, I don't understand that, but that's the way it was around, it leads around Jericho, Joshua chapter 6. You can read all these passages. The next time we see the ark is that it is at Shiloh. I want to spend just a little bit of time here because if you look at Joshua chapter 18, Joshua chapter 18, we discover in this verse of Scripture, and I'll get to it. Here shortly. Then the whole congregation of the sons of Israel assembled themselves at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there, and the land was subdued before them. So the tent of meeting, the tabernacle is set up in Shiloh. Uh, And there are several... Uh, Verses that I want you to notice uh, the next series of verses over in Judges chapter 20 Shiloh is significant because this apparently is the capital of Israel for almost 400 years and I think many of us are kind of unaware of that I'll show you a map here in just a minute but there is a brief exile from Shiloh to Bethel for just a very, very short period of time. We have no idea how short a period of time that is, but over in Judges chapter 20, you can see it there, and there's a very interesting statement. When you come to Judges chapter 20, it tells us in verse, uh, well, I'm looking at verse 26. All the sons of Israel, And all the people went up and came to Bethel and wept. What is happening is there's some sin that needs to be taken care of. They wept and thus they they remained there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening. They offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And the sons of Israel inquired of the Lord. Now notice the parenthesis for The Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days. How long? We don't know. Why it was exiled from Shiloh down to Bethel for this period of time, again, the scriptures really don't say. But the next time we see... uh, Let me me stop and talk about Shiloh. Uh, Tim, would you like to give us a two-sentence summary of Shiloh <laughs> before I show the slides. Maybe I'll show the slides, and then you can get. tell me if I'm right. <laughs> Tim, Tim has been there several times uh, on a dig, but uh, Shiloh is between Bethel and Shechem. Does anybody remember what happened at Shechem? Anybody? When the whole town was destroyed. How's that? The whole town was destroyed. All right, and Jacob, and Jacob was there. It was a whole town was there. Bethel is what's the significance of Bethel? Anybody remember? House of God. All right. Well. All right. That's close enough. <laughs> anyway, you see Shiloh, and the text of Scripture at the end of the book of Judges it describes where Shiloh is, and the people uh, the people recognize that's that's. That's where things are now. Here is an artist, again, artist rendition of what they feel the Ark and the Tabernacle area was like at Shiloh. That's the area of shot. Does it look familiar to him? Yes. Hopefully. Okay. okay. <laughs> looking to the Anyway, up there on the top is where the uh, excavations for the ark are concerned. Here's another rendition of it. This is generally speaking the area that is under consideration right now. The reason it is chosen is they figure it is one of the most level areas. Whether it was that way to start with, we do not know, but this is the rendition of the way they think the ark was set up and remember uh the ark, the tabernacle was set up with the ark there, and remember this is the location that Israel this is Israel's capital for almost four hundred years. Uh that to me is something we need to keep in mind. There's another rendition of it. You, you remember that guy in that first picture? Yes. It, this is proof that he really was there. <laughs> I, Tim, do you have a picture of you being there? I should have gotten it. <laughs> and of course, are not where people actually think cuz nobody knows. Yep. But anyway, uh, there there is a uh, from a distance from a distance, there is a, a kind of a pizzazz to archaeological work, but it is it is grunt work. It is hot, it is sweaty, it is dirty, and, uh, you know, it's just basically hard work. And generally speaking, each dig is about, what, a week, two weeks long, and that's it? No, you, you dig for eight oh, weeks. So. Really, so you want to You've been dirt there dirt. for eight it's weeks not, total? But uh, that's how long these. Okay, the last all right. And of course, they have to shut down during the winter time. It's just not conceivable because of the rain and the mud and everything else. So, oh, really? Okay, all right. Whatever Tim says is true because he has more truth to him than the internet. But anyway, all right. Now, I mentioned to you in the very, very first lesson, way, way back, that the turning point for the nation of Israel is the Battle of Aphek. The Battle of Aphek, or the Battle of Ebenezer. Aphek is here, Ebenezer's here, and the battle takes place between those two cities, so depending. But this is a turning point for the whole nation of Israel because several things happened during this particular transition. They move from a theocracy to a monarchy, They moved from warlords, which are basically judges. Uh, uh, The term warlord probably is a better description of what the judges were because basically they would raise an individual, be raised up in an individual tribe and go out and free that area of the country from the adversaries that kept coming in and trying to take over the land. So they moved from warlords to kings. The Location of the capital moves from Shiloh to Jerusalem. And then, rather than being 12 independent tribes under the monarchy, they all are a cohesive nation. And so this Battle of Aphek is very, very crucial. But what is the Battle of Aphek all about? Well, first of all, Shiloh is up here at the top. Bethel is that temporary location where the ark is, kind of the ark in exile. If you will notice the dotted line across the top, the children of Israel are in the process of fighting with the Philistines. They lose the battle. They decide, (coughs) you know, the thing that's missing is the ark. If we have the ark with us, Then we'll be able to beat the Philistines. This is, if you please, an abuse of the ark. Uh, They feel as though if they just have this little, if I can use the word, trinket with them, the symbol of God's presence, they're going to win. But in actuality, what is happening is because they are abusing what the ark is all about, God is really not on their side. God is on the side of the Philistines. (laughs) And that's exactly what happens. And so they take the ark between Ebenezer and Aphek, and they fight. And what happens to the ark? You remember? The Philistines capture it. And the Philistines take it to the various cities, first Ashdod, then Gath, then Ekron. And one of the interesting things that we discover about this pilgrimage on the part of the ark is that there is a complete destruction of Shiloh at this point in time. I want to read these passages because there's a couple of references to it. The book of Judges and the book of Samuel do not necessarily tell us about the destruction of Shiloh. I'm not going to refer to Psalm uh, 78, verse 60, but I do want to look at Jeremiah chapter 7. And again, I don't have time to read the whole thing, but Jeremiah, who lives 400 years after this time, he's giving a rendition of the way the children of Israel have vacillated in their faithfulness to God. And notice, if you will, starting with verse, uh, well, let me read starting with verse 12. But go now to my place which was in Shiloh, where I made my name to dwell at the first and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. So what God is saying to these people during the time of Jeremiah, which is 400 years later, he says, you folks were so unfaithful to me that when the time came, I destroyed Shiloh. Shiloh is supposed to be an object lesson to the people of what God will do to their capital city if they're unfaithful. And the interesting thing is that Jeremiah is living during the time when the Babylonian captivity is impending, and what happens? Jeremiah is saying, remember 400 years ago? You were unfaithful then. God destroyed the capital. You're unfaithful now. The Babylonians are going to come, and God is going to be on their side, and he's going to destroy the city of Jerusalem. So two catastrophic events in the history of Israel and the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant are the things that are right in the middle of all of it. Let me go on. I wish the clock went so fast but it yeah. does. The ark is out of the hands of the Philistine control at Ekron and it moves up the valley mm-hmm. to a place called Kiriath Jarum. What very interesting thing took place which was contrary to nature that made the Philistines realize hey the ark is going in the right direction. God is in complete control. You remember what happened? A mother cow. Two of them. Two of them went against their nature even though their babies were calling for them called calves. <laughs> <laughs> Babies. Uh, another interesting thing that happened, not only where the, uh, and, and I love the way the scripture puts it, they're, they're yoked together. By the way, you don't yoke cows together because of the synchronization of their set. They don't always walk. If you've ever seen a herd of cattle, the, their feet are all messed up. But they're yoked together, their calves are put over here in a stall, and the mothers are heading the opposite direction. And what is the phrase the scripture uses? You remember? Lowing as they went. What does it mean by lowing? just mooing away and that's that's what happens. They finally get there. The next step for the ark is that the ark is brought to the city of David. But there is a little bit of a problem because on the way from Kiriath-Jarim to the city of David, somebody accidentally Touches the ark. You remember what that guy's name is? Uza. Uza. He accidentally touches the ark to keep it from falling off of the cart. Now the ark is not supposed to be carried on a cart. It is supposed to be carried by people with poles on both sides of it. Kind of, if I could put it like this, kind of like a casket, if you please. But someone touches it what happens, he drops dead. So the ark sits at the home of Obed-Edom during this particular time. And David is so, uh, so anxious about the ark. he wants to get the ark to Jerusalem. He realized this is the symbol, this is the symbol of God's presence. And he wants the symbol of God's presence and the presence of God with him in the city of Jerusalem. But what happens? It's temporarily at the house of Obed-Edom. The house of Obed-Edom is richly blessed while the ark is there. David hears about this and says, we've got we to get this thing up where it belongs. And so, that is what happens. Now, the ark finally comes... To the city of David. It's finally put in the temple under Solomon. And if you will look closely at the text of, uh, well, I, I don't have time to look at it, but over in the text of 2 uh, Chronicles chapter 5 and the other reference in the book of 2 Kings chapter 8, when Solomon finishes the temple... And the priests bring the ark into the holy place. The glory of God again descends. Now, the interesting thing is, was the glory of God with the ark all during its time away from Shiloh? Was the glory of God again? We just don't know. Because... From the time it's put in the temple until the time it is employed by Josiah, almost 400 years later, there is not one mention of the ark. Not one. There is one mention. You remember when David is fleeing from Absalom, and Absalom is uh, trying to revolt from David, the priest, during David's time, want to protect the ark. And so they start carrying the ark in the caravan with David. And David gets to the top of Mount of Olives and he says, no, no, take the ark back and put it where it belongs. That's the only reference to the ark during that entire period of time. Again, almost 400 years. We don't hear from it except that one time. Now, is there a sequence or a synchronization of the glory of God, the Shekinah, and the presence of the ark? I don't know. Was the glory of God and the Shekinah there in the temple that entire time? Again, I don't know. One of the things we do know is that during the time the kings were in Jerusalem, there are numerous invasions of Jerusalem, and people come and they ransack the treasury of the temple. Again, very little mention is made of what actually took place as far as the presence of the ark. Uh, The ark is taken to Jerusalem under David. The ark is relocated in the temple in 2 Chronicles. And I want you to notice this reference because I think it is an interesting one. And again, there is a boatload of speculation as to what is happening during this time. Again, it's right toward the end before the Babylonian captivity. Second Chronicles chapter 35, Then Josiah celebrated the Passover of the Lord in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered the Passover animals in the 14th day of the first month. And he set the priests in their offices and encouraged them in the service of the house of the Lord. Now notice the next phrase closely. He also said to the Levites, who taught all Israel, and who were holy to the Lord, put the holy ark in the house of Solomon, the son of King David. Now, where was it? Where was it during this time? Here's the speculation, and again, it's just speculation. Josiah realized because of impending invasions that it is possible that for a brief period of time the Ark is taken from the Holy of Holies and hidden away somewhere in Jerusalem and during this particular Passover feast Josiah, who was the king at this time says to the Levites bring the Ark back so that we can have the visible presence of the Lord with us it was hidden by the way who was Josiah's father you remember huh Jesse <laughs> I'm just kidding. well I can't deny that in the Bible anybody <laughs> who He was a guy named Manasseh. Manasseh ruled 55 years. Was Manasseh a good king? No. Tradition has it that Manasseh is the one that killed the prophet Isaiah. Now, during this particular time of Manasseh's reign, it is very, very likely that a whole not a lot of worship in and around the tabernacle and the significance of the ark was at a minimum, probably non-existent. And during this particular time, it could be, uh, speculating, it could be that the ark is taken out of the Holy of Holies and hidden away by the priest so that it wouldn't be desecrated. All right? Speculation, speculation. But the point is, at this particular period of time, Josiah decides to bring the ark back out of hiding so the people can see the presence of the Lord symbolically with them. All right. The clock is moving. This is, incidentally, the last mention of the ark anywhere in Scripture. All right. Now, back to the Shekinah. There's no mention of the Shekinah during the period of the judges. There's no mention of the Shekinah during the era of monarchy, except Ezekiel. I wish I had more time to spend on this, but if you want to look at the book of Ezekiel, the first couple chapters, and I'm just going to make reference to these verses, but Ezekiel has a vision. Remember where Ezekiel is. Ezekiel is not in the land. He's already been taken into captivity in Babylon. He was taken during the second invasion of Nebuchadnezzar. He is back in Babylon. I should say he's over in Babylon, and he's going to receive a vision and he reports that vision to the captives in Babylon. And essentially speaking, if you want to sometime read through this because it is fascinating, what Ezekiel sees in a vision is the departure of the glory of God from the temple. Symbolically, symbolically what is happening is that the glory of God is leaving the temple, symbolically, the glory of God and the presence of God, is leaving the nation of Israel. Why? Because they're in captivity. They've been so disobedient. Now, I'll tell you briefly what you would read in Scripture. Here's the Holy of Holies. The glory of God ascends off of the ark it moves to the threshing floor of the temple. (coughs) The interesting thing is, after it moves to the threshing floor of the temple, there is a delay, and you will read this if you read through this first part of Ezekiel. There is a delay at that point, almost a hesitation, because the Shekinah glory goes back over the ark, As if, I wish I didn't have to leave. You understand what I'm saying? And then the ark doesn't have the glory anymore. It goes to the threshold of the temple. Then it goes to the eastern gate. Then it goes to the Mount of Olives and disappears. We never see it anymore. So there's a very interesting story as this unfolds. So... Quickly, let me move to the next section. What happened to the Ark of the Covenant? It's at a government warehouse. Huh? It's at a government warehouse. Government warehouse? <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that That's awesome? not on my list. <laughs> but just so you know, all right? Again, it's on the internet. <laughs> By the way, how? Huh? It's in that do- documentary, Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> <laughs> See, who was the star of that guy? That Harrison, Ford Harrison, Ford? Harrison Ford. Yeah, he lives, he lives up in Jackson, Wyoming. He has his own elk herd that he manages. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Frank has its privileges, I guess. Mm-hmm. All right, what happened to the Ark? Again, <laughs> speculation. Are you ready? Only God really knows. However. There are some theories. Number one, God took it to heaven. There's no proof of that. It's just a theory. Number two, it's in a church in Ethiopia. It has never been seen, but that's the theory, all right? Number three, it's hidden in a cave under the Temple Mount. If you ever go to Israel, one of the things that you will hear about is that there are just caves all over under the Temple Mount. And you you can even go into some of them, but, you know, that's a theory. It's blocked up there. Another theory is that it is hidden in a cave on Mount Nebo. Where would they have ever gotten this idea? Well, I am not in any way endorsing the Apocrypha. All right? But in 2 Maccabees, we learn this. And let me get to the place where I can read this without a glare. In fact, can anybody else see that? Uh, In the records it will be found that Jeremiah the prophet ordered the deportees to take some of the fire with them as indicated. And that the people that the prophet in giving them the law dictated to the deportees not to forget the commandments of the Lord uh, or to be led astray uh, when they see the gold and silver and all that kind of stuff. Verse 3. and other similar words, he exhorted that the law should not uh, depart from their hearts. The same document also tells how the prophet, in virtue of the oracles, ordered that the tent and the ark should accompany him, and how he went to the very mountain that Moses climbed to behold God's inheritance. That would be Mount Nebo. Verse 5. Where Jeremiah arrived there, he found a chamber in a cave in which he put the tent, the ark, and the altar of incense. Then he sealed the entrance. Now, Is this true? We don't know. The Apocrypha, we do not believe, is one of the scriptures and God-breathed documents that we hold dear. Are there things in the Apocrypha that are true? Historically, yes. Is this a historical fact? Again, we don't know. All right, a final thought. And with this, I would like for you to turn to Jeremiah chapter three. Again, I wish I had time to read the whole passage, but Jeremiah chapter three, starting with verse six. I am looking down, starting with verse 15. And he's talking about when the nation of Israel is reunited. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. It shall be in those days when you are multiplied and increase in the land, declares the Lord, they shall say no more the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Why aren't they going to say it? Because it's not there and it shall not come to mind, nor shall they remember it, nor shall they miss it, nor shall it be made again." The Ark of the Covenant apparently served a purpose during the time of the nation of Israel. Its purpose was to symbolize the presence of God. It served its purpose, it disappeared. What is the presence of God in our day now? The person of Jesus Christ, all right? Now, I have gone like grease lightning and my, my problem is I only spend about 10 hours on this and there's so much more to say but you get the idea. By the way, in a couple weeks, I know there have been sickness, I know there have been people that have, been, have missed some, I'm going to spend a Sunday, boy, this is gonna be a marathon Sunday, I'm gonna spend a Sunday going about 10 minutes on each of the lessons to give you a summary of everything <clears throat> in a couple weeks. <laughs> Next week, we're going to look at the city of David in Jerusalem. Hey, thank you I hope this is helpful I hope this has been helpful but uh, probably many of you in this room did not realize that Shiloh was the capital of Israel for 400 years and then Jerusalem was the capital of Israel for almost 400 years and that's why Shiloh is so important because it was destroyed they're excavating it the problem with Jerusalem is that it's been built on. So how do you do excavate? It it would be like me saying to Dave, Dave, would you move out of your house so I can dig up underneath it and find out what's going on? And, hey, the people of Israel don't really care about that. They they like their house. We understand that, don't we? Hey, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you.